The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Oh great God, we are thankful to be able to say something so simple as let's pray and for that to mean something. Many people all across the globe think of prayer and do not have access to the throne like we do. We can speak and you hear. You hear with open ear and open heart eager to answer and to respond. And so when we say, let's pray, we, we, we utter a, a marvelous, a marvelous privilege. And then we engage in it. And we talk to you right now and, and lay before you praise. You are a great and wonderful God. And we lay before you request, because you are a great and wonderful God, would you stoop and do great and wonderful things in this world, in the lives of us, your people. Specifically this morning, Lord, I pray that you would draw us on. You would draw us deeper into commitment, into, into a, a life turned over to you, into a surrendered walk. Lord, I pray that you would make my words clear even as I, as I think many things run through my mind. And I'm sure as we sit and listen, many things run through our minds. I pray that you would make my words clear and you would make the listening of each person here clear and focused. And I pray, Father, that you would commission your spirit to come and run through our midst here to, to shape us, to, to reform and conform us, to change us and, and set us on a path in pursuit of you. Well, we come from different places and and that means different things. For some of us, Lord, it means perhaps you need to save us in the first place. But for others, Lord, perhaps it means you need to spur us on. And for others, it means correction. And each one something different. Spirit of God, you know where we, where we are, each of us. And I pray, graciously reach out and, and steer. Touch and redirect each one here. Lord, you are good. Your mercies are new this morning and they last forever. Your goodness, on the grounds of that, we appeal to you now. Build your church. Bless us, your people. Honor your name. Cause your kingdom to come and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Shape us and conform us, we pray. Honor Christ and build your church this morning, please, Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to the end of Philippians chapter 4, where we have been considering Paul's note of thanks to the church. Paul has been, as we've seen, imprisoned in Rome, and he's in need there, and he was uh, 
received this gift from the church in Philippi, this financial gift that they sent with their messenger. And he has, as the end of this letter has come upon him, he's decided, I need to actually express clearly my thanks. And so he's been doing that now in verses 10 through 20, giving thanks for the gift, but also mentioning some further thoughts generated by the financial gift that they'd sent him. He is thankful for it, but he's more thankful for what the gift shows. It shows him that the Philippians still consider themselves partners with him in this gospel ministry. Partners in the gospel, and that's incredibly encouraging to Paul. And that partnership is what stands behind this whole section. It's kind of, kind of the backdrop against which the other points are made. He's very, very concerned that they know that he is thankful for them, but also, verses 10 to 13 emphasize He thinks it's important that they know about contentment. That he has learned to be content in all circumstances. Thankful for the gift, yes, but if the gift had never come, he still would, would sit at rest in prison, content in all circumstances. Even without their financial gift, he's learned how to handle humiliation and abundance and hunger and plenty, everything, all things he can do, in Christ, as a new creature with a new existence, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That was our focus last week as we looked particularly at verse 13. Look kind of closely at a, a couple of phrases there in that verse. Paul finds his ability to handle all circumstances in Christ. That's the, the literal wording there in that verse. He has a new identity united with Christ. Christ in Him, Him in Christ. The true for all Christians, this theology of union with Christ, we touched on a little bit last week, joined with Christ in death and in resurrection, He has placed each Christian, each of us, in a, in a new status. We have a new being. New minds, new hearts. We see things differently. We value things differently because of what He's done in us. That was last week. But now, as we return to the flow of the argument in this note of thanks, we're going, to, we're going to see Paul return to the idea of partnership, say a little bit more about that. But particularly, he's going to talk about giving, the gift itself. And as we talk about this section, verses 14 to 20, we talk about giving. Obviously, in this particular setting, the partnership that he has with Philippi is unique. It's, it's kind of a formalized partnership. And the type of giving that they've done is, is a financial gift. But for us here, as we think in our context now, we, we don't have that kind of relationship, certainly not with Paul. And the idea of giving needs to expand beyond just finance, not beyond just money. Think about the giving of all of our resources. And really, as I've thought about this, and it's kind of, this has grown on me throughout the week, I've thought, what we're really talking about here is, is something larger and, and total. The, the giving of self. You might use the word consecration. The, the setting aside of me. Not just my money and not just my stuff, but, but me, you. So I'll talk about giving, and the language will be financial, but keep in mind that what, what, what's really on the table here in front of you is the opportunity, the, the call, the reason for you to give you. 
all of you, in the ministry, in, in the work of the gospel, in partnership with the body of Christ. That's what we're going to be considering this morning. Let, let me put it all in a sentence here. I'm going to use some familiar language here, but let me, and then I'll explain it. So here's the sentence that it's kind of the, the main point for this morning. We should give freely to see the gospel grow for God's glory and for our own great gain. We should give freely to see the gospel grow for God's glory and for our own great gain. And if you've heard me preach a couple times before, you've, you've heard this for God and for us. These, these two things, and there it is again in, in this main point. And, and I want to say that's not just because I, I have a scratch in the record and I keep coming back to that. It's because it's all through the Bible that for God's glory and for my, for our, for the people of God, for our gain, for our good, is inseparable. For God's great glory and for our great good it's, it's flip sides of a coin. And here it is again, the call to give, to see the gospel grow, to give yourself, not just your money, but, but to give you, to see the gospel grow, is that God would be glorified and that you would be profited. Always. It's the same thing. We'll see it again this morning. Let me read Philippians 4. I'm going to read verses 14 through 20, and I'm going to make three observations from the passage. Beginning in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Make three observations. Here's the first one. In gospel partnership, we should seek giving for the sake of getting. In gospel partnership, we should seek giving for the sake of getting. We should seek ways to give, both for ourselves and for other people. Seek ways for ourselves to give and seek ways for other people to give. We should do that for the sake of getting, of gaining. If that sounds odd, um, that's the whole point. I'm going to try to explain that. But first, I'm using the word gospel partnership because he uses the word partnership here in this passage, verse 16. The church in Philippi and Paul are in partnership. And the, the other end of this letter, the very beginning, the first part of chapter 1, uses similar language, verse 5. Paul's thankful and joyful because of their partnership in the gospel. They have a gospel partnership. 
from the first day until now. Paul came to Philippi, preached the gospel. It took root, began to grow, and from the very beginning point there, that church and Paul were in this partnership. In their case, it was kind of a formalized relationship. If you're not a like an official supported missionary or a minister, you probably don't quite have these types of formal relationships like the two of them did. But still, we today should live together together as partners for the sake of the gospel, the message of Christ. We've talked about this before. It's what the church, what the body of Christ is about. It's... It's the purpose of purposes in all of life. To live is Christ, Paul says here. So if we think about every relationship is built on something, and if, and if I am pursuing to live as Christ, and you are pursuing to live as Christ, together we should be pursuing for us to live together is Christ. That's partnership for Christ, partnership for the gospel. That Christ would be magnified, that Christ would be honored, that Christ would be better known in me, in us, because of us out there. It's the sweetest of all relationships. When that's at the core, it's at the bottom. Not that that's the only thing our relationships are about, but if that's at the core of what our relationships are about, we will experience the sweetest of human relationships, the sweetest of partnerships. Gospel partnership. Talked about that before. It's here again. It's existing between the two of them. And obviously what's going on here is that there is giving and receiving between the two of them. That's the language he uses. And the point we need to focus on is this giving and receiving. Obviously it's got some critical alleviation of physical need component to it. But that's not why Paul seeks this giving from them. Verse 17, notice carefully, he commends their giving and encourages it to continue, and in so doing, encourages it to continue in us. He would commend that in us. Not that I seek the gift, what he says there, which is in line with what he said earlier about being content whether he receives the gift or not. Not that I seek the gift, but I do seek something. Now, I'm making a, a point about a little bit of language here. He does not say, not that I seek the gift, but let me tell you what happens. It just happens. No, I'm not seeking this, but I am seeking, same word, I am seeking, I am in pursuit of, I am after something here. I'm not after the gift for me. I am after what? Fruit that increases to your credit. Or if you have a footnote, a lot of translations will have the footnote that renders it uh, more literally. I seek profit or I seek interest that accrues to your account. Using financial language there. I'm not seeking my own profit, but rather in love, I am counting your needs as greater than my own. And I am seeking your profit. Interest adding on to your account. 
I'm seeking to increase your portfolio, and so I'm looking for ways for you to give away your assets. Now, financially, it doesn't make any sense. How do you increase your portfolio by giving it away? That's what he says. I'm seeking to increase your account in this giving to me. That should strike you as odd. If it doesn't strike you as odd, it's perhaps because you've thought this through before, which would be a great thing. But there are a couple of odd things here. One, there's just the, the odd logistics. How do you increase something by emptying it? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But secondly, there might be something here that sounds almost unchristian. That sounds unnatural. Paul's saying, I want you, and he's telling them this, of course, so that they would hear it and would say, yeah, that's good. I like that. I want more of that. I want you to do something that will benefit you. I want you to give away so as to grow your own possessions, to increase your own account. Isn't that selfish? That sounds odd. Aren't you supposed to be concerned about the other rather than I'm mean, encouraging you to be concerned about you? Seems kind of odd. Well, there is a way in which that would be selfish and wrong. It would be selfish and wrong if Paul was actually speaking literally about financial investment and literally about financial gain then it would be wrong to say, I want you to give, I want you to use the gospel so as to increase financial gain for yourself. That would be wrong. It would be wrong. It would be prostituting the gospel to gain financially. If the thing we seek to get, if the thing Paul wants them to seek after or seeks for them is simply cash or, here's the critical point, some other earthly treasure. If he's telling them, I want you to give away your money so as to increase money or some other earthly treasure, maybe the reputation of being known as a generous giver. I want you to give so that you are known as one who is in partnership with the Apostle Paul or one who's got a stake in that big, important ministry. Some other earthly treasure. If that was the case, giving to the gospel to get earthly treasure, that would be sin, but that's not what Paul means. What Paul's saying here really is the same thing that Jesus taught in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, in the affirmative, in the active, in the commanding voice, says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Store up for, that is the same as seek to get for yourself. Treasures in heaven. Seek to gain it for yourself. Or if you are loving another person, seek a way to gain it for them. Treasure in heaven. 
fruit that increases to your credit because that's all that counts in life. Jesus, of course, said the opposite too, didn't he? Don't seek earthly treasures. We sang about this morning. Things that are destroyed in the earth, things that rust eat away at, things that corrode and die off. Don't live in pursuit of that. But live in pursuit of, not just receive it when it happens, pursue it. Go get it for yourself. Heavenly treasure. If you have in your hand some earthly treasure, some piece of paper with Ben Franklin's face on it, and you take that earthly treasure and you thoughtfully think, I'm going to use this to get for myself treasure, treasure that lasts, not a second Ben Franklin, but some other treasure that lasts. You're doing exactly what Jesus taught and exactly what Paul's after here. You are seeking treasure for yourself, and that is completely appropriate. We should give to get for ourselves. Sounds audacious if you say it like that. We should give to get for ourselves. Not earthly treasure, but something better. Treasure in heaven. Fruit that lasts. I'm kind of pressing this here, and I wonder, before I talk about fruit that lasts, I kind of I wonder, do you understand why this is important? Because you have in your hands handfuls, bucketfuls, garage, car, bank account, as well as Mentally, physically, socially, you have loads of earthly treasure delivered to you by the grace of God. And every single moment you are thinking about, you're making a decision, what do I do with this? And the answer from Paul, the answer from Christ is go shopping. I mean it. Go shopping. Constantly go on a treasure hunt, get busy, seek, seek treasure, seek wealth, seek riches for yourself, which should be scandalous enough to make you pay attention because then you want to say, Well, what is that? Treasure that lasts, fruit that lasts some of which can be experienced now in part. The joy of being involved in God's work, God's Word, the growth of God's kingdom, as an example. Suppose you give some of your earthly treasure, some of your talents or your abilities, even some of your cash, and you see something happen like some people in this room I think, probably, some. I'm sure, yes. Some people in this room were a part of giving of their earthly treasures to see this very building constructed years and years ago. And I think, at times, and Ralph Porter, when he comes and preaches here, every time mentions this, because he was the pastor of this church when this building was built, 
gave of himself to see it happen. And I think at times, I suspect, some of those folks stop and look around and say, not, wow, nice cinder block, but what of God just happened here in this place that I got a chance to be a part of? Now, most of the time it just flies right by, you don't even think about it, but sometimes I suspect they stop and think, I was a part of and can enjoy, can experience the joy of saying, this just happened in this place that I got the privilege of being a part of and I'm experiencing now just the, the foretaste of this treasure that lasts, that impacted that person's life. That person has no idea that I gave to build this building in which he just met Christ, in which she just was grown but in some tremendous way. I got to see it, though. What a blessing to me. A little taste of that treasure, even now. However, while I think some of that treasure can be experienced in part now, heavenly treasure probably should make us think more about heaven. And interest and accrual should make us think about something takes time here to grow. So I should not expect to experience right now all the goodness and all the wonder of this treasure, this fruit that lasts. Ultimately, there will come a time when we sit down, we who are the people of God, sit down in heaven and with clearer wider understanding with eyes that see more and with hearts that feel more, that are less clouded, less polluted. And we see laid out in front of us in some greater grandeur, some wider vista, the kingdom. We don't see him now, or, or just in part at best. But there will be a time, Christian, you will see grander and wider and longer and farther. And in that moment, as you sit perhaps next to Jesus will be somewhere physically, perhaps even next to him, or perhaps you will cross paths with him in the hallway, and you will know, you will see, this is the King. This is the kingdom, and this is the king. There will be not a glass dimly, but there will be clarity, and you will see. And in that moment, the blessing of realizing I spent my life, not just my cash, but all of my life for this, for him. That he was magnified. That these perhaps are here in part because of The treasure that you will enjoy, the treasure in that knowledge, the treasure of His smile, the treasure of communion with Him, when He says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now there is a way, I had a conversation with a brother about this, there is a way in which every Christian will hear that. And there is a way in which every Christian won't hear that as you could. 
There is a way in which he looks at all of us and says, my beloved. And there is a way that he looks at us and says, why did you bury the treasure that I gave you? Why didn't you invest it? Both those are true. So not from any kind of a, of, of a knife sticking in your back. No, he, you are his beloved. He delights in you. So not from any kind of, of force or any kind of uh. Not, not from that, but from the desire to hear. Look, Master, I took the five that you gave me and I invested it and here are the ten that I bring back. Oh, well done. To experience that delight, the enjoyment of that kind of heavenly fruit, from that desire to experience that treasure and that blessing, chase after, seek after, pursue, go get treasure. And use everything you have now in that endeavor. You should give to get for yourself heavenly treasure. Paul seeks it for those he loves, meaning to communicate, you should want this. Go get it yourselves. Nice job in sending money along to me to get some of it. Get more. Send me something next month. Which is not mercenary, it's love. Fortify yourself with this. Believe this. And understand, this, this, I mean, I could say this, and I'm going to say this, you know it's true. And then can't we step off to the side and say, so why on earth do we struggle with this so much? You know, the Ben Franklin piece of paper? It's paper. It's a tree. Ground up, stuck together with some ink on it. It's paper. It represents a little bit of power. The power to get something. And the whole thing is perishing. The paper, the ink, the power, and what you're getting. Unless what you use it to get is something that's not perishing. Something related intimately to the kingdom. Other people. The honor of Christ. Something related intimately to the kingdom. You know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Why on earth do we get so enamored with the Ben Franklin? I think there's some mixture of, of unbelief and forgetfulness. There is surely some mixture of an evil one who tempts and deceives. Brothers and sisters, people of God, there's a kingdom that is perishing and there's a kingdom that lasts. And in your own best interest, give your life to the latter and not the former. Pursue your good. Go get treasure for yourself and use everything that you have now towards that end. Give to get. And the second point then. The giving of gospel partnership is a Godward act of worship. 
The giving of gospel partnership is a Godward act of worship. So we give to get for ourselves, and we give to worship also. So the giving here, obviously, is, a, is, is really sent to Paul. He really receives it. It's really help to him, tangible help. And because we live in a tangible, physical world, that is tangibly, physically, concretely, materially helpful. And we should not overlook that. Paul has to eat. In prison in that day, the basic needs were met by one's friends, not the government. Paul has to eat. He needs shelter. and He needs clothing. It's real. So we shouldn't overlook that. It's, it's important. However, any benefit on, on, the, on the material plane, on the horizontal plane here, we realize, we who are in Christ and are new creatures and have new eyes and new perspectives and understand new truths, realize that this world is temporary, it's not ultimate, and everything that we are doing always is, in fact, before God. It is in light of the eternal kingdom, and it is towards Him, before His face, and Paul reminds us of that as he turns our eyes Godward in verse 18. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. I've received it. Yes, indeed. The gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Seamlessly, in the same sentence, he does this. and uses the language of Old Testament worship. Fragrant offering sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In the Old Testament, various offerings of incense and of, of food items would be burned up, and as the smoke, and God did that so that the smoke would rise up to him and, as it were, be offered to him. The, the physical, tangible ingredients remain down here on the altar, but the smoke rises up, and God says, it's as a, an aroma coming up to my, no, my nose in heaven, and I smell it, and I am pleased with the sacrifice rightly offered. It was a way to bless him and please him and delight him and honor him with our things. Grain, incense, meat. So, that's what's going on here. A sweet aroma from proper sacrifice, rising up to him. Sent to Paul, yes, but they are offered up to God. This is how the Christians in Philippi are worshiping. How they are delighting God. They are saying, as they write the check, where they, really, they put the gold in the bag and give it to Epaphroditus, this Lord we give to you. We worship you. We honor you. Would you receive this and be delighted and pleased? How is that worship? Let's think about a, a couple of ways. And of course, in talking about that, I'm really talking about us and what it's like to worship God with our giving, giving of our money, our resources, giving of ourselves. It is worship when you give because it is a declaration with your actions, you are declaring, you are showing a new Christ-like, a new Christ in you, love for and concern for the people of God 
It is Philippians 2 in you. I give of myself, of what I have, of what I can give, I give to you to meet your needs, to maybe, maybe to share in your trouble or your suffering, or to see you blessed or grown, whatever it is. I am displaying in the world here Christ, who laid aside his own right to his own stuff and said, I do that that these ones might be blessed. That does not come from us naturally. There's, there's a unique affinity for the people of God, for the gospel that's displayed there in us that comes from God. The people of the world do not give money to see the gospel preached. People of the world do not give their time to other people purely because they are Christians, not just because they're friends. This is unique. And what it's showing to the world is this one right here who's giving whatever it is that you are giving, this one right here is of Christ. Something done by God here. You love the people of God, and God says, that pleases me. That honors me. That reflects me into the world and shows my work and is my hands and my feet to love my people. If God used this language, he would say, thank you. But secondly, it's an affirmation of the truth and worthiness of Christ and the gospel. It's not just a showing of what Christ is like, of who he is, and of loving people, but it's also a declaration. This is precious to me. More than all the other stuff I have in my hand and more than what's precious to you. You and I know how precious item X, dollar amount Y is. We, we both know how precious it is, but let me tell you, I have something more precious than that. This Christ. It says, I love the gospel. I am thankful for God's gracious, merciful love for me, a sinner, a rebel, yet one that he sent this son, this beloved son, sent him to earth to get me, this one who did not regard his divine rights, but instead became a servant and humbled himself to become a man, to become a servant, to die, even death on a cross, He's captured my heart. This one. He went to the cross to save me. This one has. Oh, hallowed be his name. And I want to give all of my life that this kingdom would spread and that this one's will would be done, that this one would be known. This is my value system. This is, this is what I'm about. This is precious and glorious. And again, God looks at such a one and says, that's my child. That's mine. And that attitude in this one obviously is, is honoring me and is lifting me up above all the things that I give, lifting up me into the highest place. That is worship. That is a declaration of the worth of God. 
And it is a declaration of your trust in him. Because not only has he come and died, but he has promised, I remain with you and I cover you. I have what you need and I will give it to you. And when you give away what you have, what you're saying is, I believe that. This whole thing that he said about giving away earthly treasure to gain heavenly treasure, I believe that. This whole thing he said about the value of the, the people of God, I believe that. This whole thing he said about, I will meet all of your needs, which we're coming to next, I believe that. He's trustworthy. And so it honors him when we say, your word is true and I will act on it. I will give. Things I might otherwise be tempted to hold on to because I think I might need them to build my life. No, in fact, I give them. It is worship of God because it displays a love of the people of God that comes from God. It is worship because it displays a valuing of God himself and his gospel that comes from God. And it is worship because it displays a trust in God that comes from God. When you give yourself away, you gain greatly indeed, and God is honored greatly indeed. This is important to keep in mind when you write the check to ministry XYZ, I don't have much. But what I have, I give. And they buy another speaker. The music's already too loud. Why in the world did you waste my money on another speaker? For crying out loud. That ever happened? Yes, that happens. You reach out, you extend yourself, you give to so-and-so, and that's what you're met with. Maybe blatantly, confrontationally, ungratefully rejected. Or maybe they just say thank you and waste the money on some other piece of electronic junk that you don't want. Both those things happen all the time. And you kind of want to say, give me the money back. I want my money back. I can give it to somebody else who will use it in some worthy way. That would be a, maybe an appropriate line of thinking if, if the giving was going like this. But it's going like this. Indeed, it... I mean, it's going horizontally. You're sliding the check across the desk to so-and-so, and he's going to take it. But, but vertically, as you sit before God and say, I don't have much, but what I have, I give, they may do what, they will do whatever they will do. But God, in fact, looks at, at the heart and is worshipped with that. And still, first point, still credits to your account what is coming. You can give 
freely and happily with no strings attached because the worship of God and the blessing to you is independent of whatever they do with it out there. This is really helpful. It frees up giving to remember and to keep reminding yourself, I give to the Lord. Yes, indeed, I give this way. I have to give it to somebody. I have to spend my time somewhere. But ultimately, wonderfully, thankfully, God is worshipped. I receive the heavenly treasure that I'm, that I'm in pursuit of. And they will stand accountable for whatever they do. That's not on my farm. I don't care. It is a wonderful thing to give freely. Now, indeed, wisely with discernment. I mean, you might, you might decide not to give a second time to that source, but to give, give somewhere else. That's fine. That's good. That's appropriate. But you can give freely, without strings attached, joyfully, worshipfully, knowing that God was in fact worshipped. That you in fact will be blessed. And his kingdom therefore will be grown. We give to get and we give to worship. And lastly, we give in faith. Third point. We can give confident that we will get all we need supplied by God himself. We can give confident that we will get all we need supplied by God himself. Verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Similar language to verse 16 where he was talking about how they gave, once and again, to meet his needs. And now here at the end, he's turned it and said, and my God will meet your needs. So you give to meet my needs, your needs get met. There's this two-way street here, which makes sense. It's kind of how friendships and partnerships work. But actually, he slipped something there. It's not you give to meet my needs and I give to meet yours. It's my God. It's actually not a two-way street, it's a three-way street, which he's been implying all along, and I makes really clear. You give to me, and you give to God. And God gives back. My God supplies your needs. What they gave was ultimately an offering to God. What they receive ultimately comes from God. He will supply all of our need. He will supply all of our need according to, according to, in a way that matches his riches in glory in Christ. He will supply to some level or another. He's going to supply your need. He's going to meet your need, Christian, to, to this level, to the level that accords with one who owns absolutely everything, who knows no shortage, who never needs to be resupplied, who is not diminished by the giving of any size gift, who is infinitely generous, 
and deeply loving and profoundly kind and merciful and gracious and wise and patient and timely who is glorious in every conceivable way. How one like that would give perfectly in a way that matches that, in accordance with that rich glory. That's how He will give to meet your every need. Financial, that's the context, certainly, but every need. Even the worry that comes from financial shortage. Every need. He meets needs. Obviously, that's not a new concept to Christians. And obviously, we struggle with it because of the issues of what are needs and what, are, what timing. I think I need this now. He's not meeting it. Well, what it says, my God will supply every need of yours. This God who is rich. This God who is glorious. This God who looks at you in Christ Jesus. This God who has gone so far as, we looked at this in John 14 last week, it's gone so far as to move into you and take up residence within you, who indwells you and you indwell him, who has united himself with you. That one who owns everything and is full of glory promises you, I will. Indeed, we look with our eyes and say, when? And will you? And he just says, I will. I will. Have I not already? Have I not already redeemed you? Have I not already given myself to you? I will give you everything else. I will. I will. I will. Now, I may hold off on that until you come around to believing it. Because he's addressing another need there, unbelief. He addresses every need. He meets all the needs. He will. According to his riches in Christ, he himself, not other people, he may use other people, not you yourself, he may use something in you, he may, he may compel you to effort, but he is the one who will meet it. As some people say, you can't outgive God. Which of course is true. Really, it is true. We need to be careful that we don't use that in the wrong way because sometimes folks use that Twist it. Some people, well-meaning people, use it in, inappropriately, I think, twist it to turn it into some way to get something from God. I know how to, to get more earthly treasure from God. I'll give away the $50 that I have because I can't outgive God. He'll at least give me 51 
And I come out ahead. Some people wouldn't put it so crassly, but do seem to operate like that. It's not true. We're talking about heavenly treasure. And some people use it really to create difficulty, to maybe exacerbate difficulty. I knew a guy who, I've changed the financial amounts here, needed $100 and had 50 and hung up on this concept even from this verse, needed $100 and had 50 and thought, Sunday's coming. I think this is probably a test. And he put all 50 in the offering plate. I'm changing the financial numbers here. but Now, I don't know if that was right or wrong, but the reasoning behind it was wrong. He was reasoning from this verse, I'm going to create the need for God. I'm going to jump off the building and see if he catches me. There's some folly and, and I think some weakness in the Christian church when we face this verse. What he means for it to be to us is not some sort of a recipe as to how to, how to get everything that we think we want. What he means for it to be to us is comfort. He has you covered, Christian. You can give. It's not telling you how to work the system. It's saying you can give. You can send another check to Rome and not worry about what will happen. He has you. You can give away time and not, and not worry about, well, well what, what do I need? What, what? It's okay. He'll multiply it. He will meet every one of your needs. He is a rich and glorious God, and you are in Christ. He cannot abandon you. He cannot leave you. He cannot forsake you. And he cannot be outgiven. He's promised you that he is near you, that you belong to him, and so he calls you to trust him and to give away your life. So Christian, I think what all of this comes together to be here is, is a plea to you that you would say with everything that you have, to live is Christ. And what I have in my hands, what I have in my bank account, who I am, I want to spend in the worship of God, in the pursuit of heavenly treasure, confident He has me covered. In other words, for God's glory and for your good, give to see the gospel run. Let me pray. Lord, would you please build your people? Build in us a, a willingness and an open-handedness. Build it in me and in my brothers and sisters here. Would you reassure us? Give us great confidence that you are near, that you meet our needs. Give us a great freedom to worship you 
to worship you with everything that we have and are. Give us strong desire to store up heavenly treasure, to chase it down and acquire it, in fact. Do a work here in your church, Lord, in your people, in me and in each one of us here in this room. Honor your name and build your kingdom and bless us in the process, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.